0: Yeah, it, it's back. The accent is back. You got to bear with it a couple nights and uh, I'll try. Again, if you have any words you need to find after service, I'll be glad to define them for you. <laughs> I have to say that everywhere I go nowadays. Uh, just to Just to make sure that. Everybody understands what I'm saying. Sometimes I feel like I'm speaking a foreign language and I come up here, and uh, I mean, people—they really like listening to me talk, and that's an interesting dude. This ain't even my Bible. <laughs> like, who, who's who's note-taking Bibles? This. This is pretty nice. I might take this home with me. <laughs> no, bro. I, did you, you swap, you did that on purpose. You're trying to make me look foolish. You're trying to, he's trying to make me look foolish. I didn't, you didn't need to help me do that. I got all that under control on my own. Man, I'm looking forward to a great week with you. And uh, for real, from the very bottom of my heart, I, I, I mean this, this, this church, as much as you don't know it, has uh, impacted my life in, in more ways than I could ever imagine. Um, from, from what I, what I gained uh, in the few short years I had with Mark uh, to what I've gained in friendship with, with his son and his family to what I've gained in the Living Faith Fellowship with, uh, with brothers that I love and that love me, um, despite all my nonsense sometimes. Um, God, give me, um, God, give me some of my best friends through this right here. God, let me see men that really love Jesus Christ and loved his word above preference, and above opinion. Um, man, I, I don't know that you know how fortunate you really are. Man, we're over here talking about the next generation, and, and here are me, and I, call, I got a name uh, for the dude speaking the next two nights after me that I call him on a regular, but I call him the Apostle Code. Um, he's the apostle, apostle to Ocala, Florida, and, um, and and for real, God knew exactly what He was doing when He orchestrated this whole thing. Uh, it, it's irony, is what it is, that me and him are even speaking. And I and I questioned Troy. I was like, "Are you sure? You're really sure about this? You you sure? Like you really need to pray about it." I'm like, "He's like, do you not think I prayed about it?" I said, "Well, I'm not sure right now." I'm not sure if you did or not. I said, hey, just go back and pray. Way. Dude, I pray. This is what the Lord wants. So, so uh, Mark was always the dude that says, never say no. Always say yes. Always say yes. And, and you know, here we are. <laughs> Sunday night, New Philadelphia, Ohio. Um, I, I want to say I'm really thankful my, my two kids are here. Uh, two, of, well, I say my two kids. Like I only have two, I've got a litter uh, scattered between <laughs> here in Georgia. Um, I've I've got five kids. I know I don't look that old, uh, but I got five kids. Two of them, uh, eighteen. They'll be graduating this year. Really, really beautiful girls, and, uh, and they love Jesus from what I can tell. I was at Decatur Baptist Church just about, I don't know, it's been about a month or so ago, and um, James the Coker was preaching, and uh, and he was preaching what I would consider to be a, a very sobering message. And there's several of us there, several men from our church there, and and, um, and James. James read from Proverbs chapter 13 and and verse number 4. And he said, The soul of the slugger desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. And James asked the question, I know you may think I'm lying, but I, I I carry the notes that I took down with a little stupid golf cart pencil. You know the first-time pencil that everybody has in the bag? Well, the pastor goes to the church that's having the Bible conference. It doesn't bring a pen. And so I'm back there with this little pencil, and I, I'm taking I'm taking notes with this. I mean, I look like a child back there, you know? I'm diligently taking notes. And, and, and James, there's a question here, and he asked the question, "What?" and I, he may be here tonight, I don't, I don't know. But he asked the question, he says, What does your soul desire? I've never never read that and thought the the soul of the sluggard desireth. And he says, What does your soul desire? And so I pondered the question. He gave us a second to think, and I'm like, what does the soul, what does the soul of Lee writings desire? I'm in the middle of building a house, and I'm living with my mother-in-law. So the soul of Lee Ridens right now desires to be out of his mother-in-law's house. <laughs> they say it's working patience. But that really wasn't what my, my soul desired. I've got these five kids, and, and two of them uh, that's with me this week, They're, they'll be 18 in November, they'll be graduating in May. I've got a 15-year-old little girl, and I've got a 10-year-old boy, and I've got one that's going to be eight on Tuesday. And I asked myself, what does my soul desire? And, and my soul desires in that moment, my soul's desire in that moment was the same sentiment as John. I have no greater joy than my than to hear my children walk in truth. My soul's my soul's desire in in, in the very core and the fiber of who I am my soul's desire is that my kids would serve Jesus Christ. Like, I, I feel like if I get a chance to see my kids serve Jesus, if I get to see my kids do what I do, I feel like I'll be good drawing my last breaths. You know, I'd be worried if... I was in ministry leadership and that wasn't my goal. If you're in here and you're in any type of ministry leadership and your goal is not, and your heart is not set to seeing your kids serve the Lord, I'd be worried. Like I, I think it would be a check that needs to be a hard internal deal that you need to ask yourself, what is my goal then? If my goal is not that, if I'm not aimed at seeing my kids, something in me reproduced in my child, then what am I actually trying to reproduce in a church? What, if, what am I trying to reproduce in other people's children that aren't being reproduced in my own? You see, I, I, I watched sin, what sin did to my family, and I, I watched what it looked like generationally for my dad, my granddad, to walk out on my dad, and, and I watched my dad do the same to me and my brother and, and then hand down that thing, and, and me and me and my brother, all, me and my brother, for the most part, doing the same thing he did. And, and what I was was a product of my dad, and, and praise the Lord. Man, God saved me when I was 24 years old and drastically rearranged my life. I I mean I mean drastically changed. I mean we were in the middle of getting a divorce when God saved me. Them two girls that sat over there, they don't know that life because God saved me They were babies. They wasn't just a year old and or just just had been born uh probably eight or nine months old. And 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 God saved me and changed my life and rearranged my life and and, and praise the Lord. You know, it's crazy. Uh I felt a call to ministry shortly after God saved me. It wasn't six months, and I was like, man, uh, the, I, you know, I was that dude that sat on the front row every Sunday. And, and man, I, I I couldn't remember. Uh, I, I was telling Brother Kenny today, the, the Bible is the first book I ever read that made any sense. I, I remember sitting on the front row, and I could quote everything that the preacher said Every thought that he had, everything that he said, man, I I remembered the Bible verses. I remember, and I was just enthralled with what God was doing through that guy. I had this big zeal. Where I come from in the South, all you need is zeal to be in the ministry. You don't need anything else. You just need a King James Bible and you need zeal. And the rest of it, you stand up and spew all kinds of stupid stuff. And everybody's like, well, look at the zeal on this boy. He don't know nothing but praise the Lord. (laughs) A a, a very long story uh, cut down. I started to see... Just how messed up I was and how carnal the brand of Christianity I had, uh, that I had was handed down to me. I, I, there, there, was, there was this crazy hierarchy in, in, in the world that I come from and you, you, you didn't get to be around men of God. You didn't get to be in their life. That whole, that whole deal where Apostle, you know, you know what manner of life? Well, they kind of they cut that one out. You didn't get to know what manner of life they had. They were so isolated and they were so secluded. Well, well the, 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 this is where in that moment in time, God used Mark Trotter to show me there was something different. I asked him to come preach at a men's fellowship at our church, June 3rd, 2017. And he came, and I think, I think Justin was there for that, and, and he, he literally leveled our men and, and me. Just absolutely took the Bible and, and 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 you know wasn't trying to picking us off one at a time, like he loaded the gun, cocked it, and shot everybody in there in one swoop. I, I I was I was I was amazed. I went home that night and I knew that he had something that I desperately needed. We talked and we we fellowshiped a little bit. We we talked about things and. We talked about the word discipleship for a few months. And then he came back on October 15th, that same year, 2017. And that's when I knew that that I had to change something. He broke out and preached in 1 Corinthians uh, Corinthians 10. he, He preached, he brought us out to bring us in. And I remember it like it was yesterday. That was the moment that I realized God wanted me in and not just out. That was the moment in time to where it clicked for me. And I sat there on a pew, October 15, 2017, absolutely knowing that He had something that I desperately needed. and I knew listen, I knew I had been brought out of Egypt. I knew that I had been freed. What the Bible says Egypt's the house of bondage. I knew that I had been freed from the house of bondage as a 24-year-old young man. I knew that I just hadn't been brought in. And you say, how does that happen in you pastor a church? I'm still not real sure. But I know this, there's a lot more out of them. Uh, out, there's a lot more out there just like me. That day he, he rolled through and, and he, he, he made some statements and there in your outline there, salvation is not to take us home when we die, but to make us his home while we live. The exodus was, was me out of Egypt, but the wilderness was Egypt out of me. And, and God wants you to exchange that, uh, this land for that land. And you say, man, I, I, I've heard, I've been hearing all that for years. Well, you've probably been taking it for granted. For the first time I heard it and I thought that was the moment in my life that I knew if anybody was going to help me get in, it was him. 2019, almost two years later, four years ago, this past Sunday, not this Sunday, not today, but this past Sunday, um, uh, uh, Mark stood in our pulpit at Greater Hope Baptist Church and he preached on a biblical introduction to understanding the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of heaven. Now, that ain't, that may not be a big deal to you, but, but from 2017 to 2019, we, here's what we did. At the end, of, so we did a Sunday morning and a Sunday night and we got done and he came up and he said, here's what we need to, you know you know, hey, bro, here's what we need to do. We need to have a question and answer time at the end. I said we've never done a question and answer time. We're old school. Like, like we're not now, but we were old school then. Like super hardcore. Like you, you know, you didn't open the floor for anybody just to ask any old question they wanted to ask. You know, you got, you got so-and-so back here with, her, with, with some kind of off-the-wall question. But, but he was like, we're going to do a question-and-answer session. And sure enough, we did this question-and-answer session, and it was one of the most amazing things. This dude is just weaving through the Bible. Well, this is where God done this, and this is where God... It was in that moment that our church... It wasn't no longer just me. It was in that moment that our church started seeing the bigger picture. It was in that moment that the spiritual DNA of our church started being changed and started being handed down to something that was biblical and something that could be reproduced. It was in that moment that I understood that God wanted spiritual sons of God reproduced on this planet after His image and after His likeness, and He was going to do the local church. He was going to use the local church to do it. It was in that moment that, that, that it finally made sense. But as many as receive him to them gave you power to become the sons of God. It finally made sense. It finally all clicked. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, it finally clicked. that Our mission was to reproduce spiritual sons of God on this planet. And we finally were envisioned to do that. We finally had had a had a way that God gave us a plan. God gave us a goal, and God said, "Do that. Don't worry about nothing else. You just go and do that, and everything else will be all right." Finally, all made sense. I've been wasting my life over here preaching all these sermons. Trying to tell people how they ought to live. Trying to tell people what they ought to wear. Trying to tell people what they ought to listen to. Trying to tell people they should do this and they should do that. And they and and trying to govern what people do. And trying to. I want you to listen. God's not so much worried about you governing what everybody else is doing. As you think, as you think he is. You know, you know what I figured out that day? That God had brung on Moses with a book. And he was just trying to help bring us in. I didn't realize it, uh, I, I, I didn't realize it, uh, how, how big of a deal it was going to be, but Mark was trying to bring me in with him. You know, a, a lot of pastors, they got a real, they got a real weird way of bringing them to you, to themselves. They got a weird way at bringing people to themselves and, and making it about them and making and when and when they, you know, and they get mad and they leave, and when they get mad and they stomp off, and they get mad and they cry and they whine, and, and they get upset, why? Well, because... Because they called him to them to start with and not the Lord. Mark wanted me to come in with him. He didn't want me to come to him. He wanted to take me in with him. And and my wife needed it so bad. Here my old wife is off over here. And and, and, and God love her supporting supporting me and supporting the church. And and my kids needed it. Our church needed it. We needed to be in. Judges chapter number two and in verse number 10. A lot of you know it. This Bible says that there, there's another generation uh, that, that arose after that Joshua 24 generation that said, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Another generation arose after that generation. God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. I mean, they sounded so spiritual. They sounded like me. They sounded like me. They sounded like me putting away, uh, trying to put away things and and, and me not having been brought in. You know what it sounds like? It sounds like us trying to put things away, but we hadn't really been brought in. It's like a form, you know what it is? It's like a form of godliness. But denying the power thereof. This generation after Joshua's 20, after that Joshua 24 generation, they knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done in Israel. If there's anything I've learned about church culture, if there's anything that the Living Faith Fellowship has taught me about church culture, is that it reproduces exactly what it is. Why is that? Well, you know, the phrase, uh, everything reproduces after its kind." So how do you see the next generation getting from where you are to where they need to be? How do you see it? How do you see us not producing a Judges chapter 2 and verse 10 generation? What if right now you had to reproduce after your kind? What if every ministry leader in this room had to reproduce after their kind? You see, it's not hard for us to forget that the one thing that God called us to do was reproduce spiritual sons and daughters for the glory of God. It's so easy sometimes. Man, we, we, love, uh, we love 2 Corinthians chapter uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Man, we're new creatures in Christ. Man, we love to sing the praises of the newness of, of who we are. And then we forget that 18, 19, 20, and 21 are all about the fact that now that we've been made new, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation to reconcile people back to God. The one thing that God has called us to do is it, the one thing. It seems like sometimes we just forget. There is That verse haunts me. You know why? It's, I, look, I know my kids are going to get older and they're going to do whatever, whatever they want to do. They're going to serve the Lord. They're going to they're either serve the Lord or they're going to serve themselves. But this one keeps me up at night. Why does it keep you up at night? Because we've come too far. We've come too far. You, you, you've come too far to raise a generation that don't know the Lord. You've come too far to give up on, on, on handing down what you have. And, and, and being, you say, man, you're just you're not that far on the other side of it. You still sound like you got a whole lot of zeal. I've been in this for 20 years. You know, the sad part about that is, you could be Moses. You could be working really hard to get people in. Not ever actually getting to see it yourself with that mentality. When you look at the, the book of Joshua, there, there's a couple of things historically. Uh, the, whole, the, the book is about the nation of Israel finally going into the promised land and possessing it. But devotionally, it pictures the end of the discipleship process and the decision for believers to make a choice of a life of victory. You see, the the Exodus, when it pictures our salvation, it pictures us getting out of Egypt and getting out of the house of bondage. In the wilderness, it pictures this, this, uh, this discipleship process. And, the, and this is the part where God's getting Egypt out of us. The promised land pictures a disciple of Jesus Christ who chooses to live a life of victory with Jesus Christ. Joshua, chapter one and verse number one, he's been commissioned to go in and to conquer the land which God had already promised to give him. Now now I, I, I want to read, read some in Joshua just to get you, get you up to see where I'm at. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass. That the Lord spake unto Joshua the son of Nun, Moses minister, saying, "Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do, uh, which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the, uh, into the great river, the river Euphrates. All the land of the Hittites." And unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not be any man able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so shall I be with thee. I, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Joshua is about to go in and he is about to conquer The land that he has already been promised. He is going to conquer it because God already said you are going to possess it. You are going to conquer the land. Walking in victory is about walking in a victory that's already been accomplished for Joshua. Does that make sense? Walking in victory is about walking in a victory that's already been accomplished. Some people say we're fighting for victory. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. We're fighting from a place that's already been won. But, but there's a key for you and me that you've got to see. There's a key for me and you that you've got to see. John 15 and verse 5, for without me ye can do nothing. For without me ye can do nothing. And how do we produce fruit? Well, we've got to abide in the vine. Why? Well, the branch can't produce fruit of itself. And we know that. How do we produce? We, we produce fr- fruit by abiding in Jesus Christ. That's how it works. Why? For without me ye can do nothing. Here, here's, here's what I think. I think there's a lot of people that are, that are trying to walk in a land that they have been promised, but they're trying to do it without the person that promised it. They're trying to be good Christians. They're trying to be something and do something that has a list-oriented set of ideals to it. And they're not actually trying, they're not actually understanding it. For without me, you can do nothing. You see, you can't possess the land. It's it's what I call the Christian life fail-safe. It's what I call the Christian life fail-safe. What do you mean? Well, you can be doing all the Christian stuff and be slap miserable doing it. Do y'all say slap up here? No, I didn't figure. Some of you looked at me kind of crazy. You, you can, well, completely, that's a better word, right? Slapping completely are like pretty much the same words. <clears throat> So we'll go with completely. You, you, really, you really, you can be completely miserable doing all the Christian stuff. You can be, that's how the next generation doesn't get what's real. Because you're miserable doing it. You can't figure out why you hate coming to church. You know you're supposed to go. There ain't nothing else to do around here. I mean, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go to church. Why are you going to church? There's nothing else to do in New Philly. (laughs) They roll the sidewalks up around here at 6 o'clock. Well, in Atlanta, it's not, and I don't live near Atlanta, so don't classify me as that. But I live close enough to Atlanta for the sake of uh, of, uh, geographical information. There's all kinds of stuff to do in Atlanta. The problem with society is that the more things you give them to do and they figure out that they bring them pleasure, then that's what they're going to do if this right here doesn't bring them pleasure. Like if you're happier doing carnal things, there's a problem. It could just be that you're doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. You're just not doing them with Jesus Christ. You're doing them in the power of your flesh. And the Bible said that the, the, when you do it in the power of your flesh, the Christian things, you're going you're to produce, you're going to manifest the works of the flesh. Can you manifest the works of the flesh in a church? Absolutely. Yeah, you can be doing all the good stuff. You can be reading your Bible. You can be studying. You can be listening to podcasts. You can be writing sermons. You can be writing books. You can be doing all this stuff. And then the main thing, the reason you got in to start with, man, you remember when you got in to start with? And you remember, I mean, I can remember just four short years ago, five, six short years ago when God, when God was doing something in me to bring me into a land, to bring me to a place to where it wasn't no more about me and it wasn't about how I could, how I could do better things. It wasn't about how I could pastor a better way. No, no, it was about bringing people in. And that one thing was the goal. And if that goal wasn't being accomplished, we wasn't doing it. Like we quit everything till we got a, a a set standard. This is the one thing that we do. It could just be that the safe has got you, and you're mad about it because you know you've been hearing it long enough. You've heard along, you've been hearing it forever. You can without me, that you can do nothing. In the back of your mind, you know you're grieving the Holy Ghost when he says, hey, without me, you can do nothing. You know you're quenching the spirit of God when you do what you do outside of the power of God and you know it when you hear it. Hey, how long long are you going to do this without me? Moses, Moses is checking out of this world in Deuteronomy 34, and verse 4. The Bible said in the land, uh, excuse me, and the Lord said unto him, this is the land which I swear unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes. Thou shalt not go in over thither. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. Now, this is a sad deal for Moses. I mean, I I have a heart, a really big heart for Moses right here. I have a really big heart for when when God condemned Moses. uh, It told Moses, and the judgment fell on Moses when he... He said, man, you smote the rock twice. I told you not to do that. I have a really big heart for Moses. Why? Because I feel like Moses sometimes. I'm always messing up. But you understand that Moses' leadership was extremely high as far as expectation goes. I feel bad for Moses because Moses... Never got to see, I never got to experience, but he did get to see. It. And, and, and I, I don't know, but, but I wonder if in the heart of Moses, this little phrase, I will give it unto thy seed. I don't know if that was comforting to Moses or not. And I, I want to feel like it was. I want to feel like, I, 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 you know, I want, to, I want to feel like in my heart, maybe I could find some comfort in knowing that my five children were going to have the land. Look, look at the heart of Moses just one chapter back in chapter 33. The Bible said, and this is the blessing wherewith Moses blessed, wherewith Moses the man of God blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran. And he came with ten thousands of his saints. And from his right hand went a fiery law for them. Yea, he loved the people. All his saints are in thy hand. And they sat down at his feet. Everyone shall receive. Of thy words. Moses commanded us a law, even the inheritance of the congregation of Jacob. Now, I don't know if you can still see it or not, but here is the shepherd's heart of Moses. He could not leave them without blessing them. He could not leave them without a word. Now, the the understanding is it must be this way. I cannot go in with you. It must be this way. Moses could not leave this earth without without giving a final blessing on the people that he has loved and served for these last 40 years. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I feel like... I feel like i'm I'm more bothered in this moment than Moses is. I'm more bothered that Moses ain't going in than Moses is. I mean anybody ever anybody ever ever anybody else ever read that and thought, man, I feel like I'd be a little more bothered by this. Like I feel like I would be. I I would be, I'd still be a little torqued that I wasn't going in. And and to get to go and see it in the next chapter. You know what I think more than anything? I think think a lot of people have a a warped perception about what the wilderness is. And I I think they have a warped perception about what discipleship is. This is where Moses, Moses was in this wilderness and he gets done and he's still being a shepherd. He's still being who God called him to be. He's still, even though he messed up, he's still being the person God called him to be. Joshua 24 and verse 7, the very last part of of, of that verse. It says, and ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season. When I, read that, when I read that verse, it, it, it sticks out right in the middle of all the verses about God talking about all this stuff that he'd done for the children of Israel. And then it's just like, it sticks out like this sore thumb. Uh, our, here we are, you dwelt in the wilderness a long season. To God, the wilderness was just a season. To me, it was 40 years. 40 years don't seem like a season to me, does, does it to you? 40 years to God, though, 40 years to God was just a season. 40 years to me seems like 40 years. I've thought about about this whole thing and and how long of of a season this was in connection to the wilderness. And I can't help but think about some of the principles that we learned from 1 Corinthians 10 about the wilderness. The Bible says that, that the exodus and the picture of the exodus in the wilderness that they were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. The Bible says that they were, that, that all of these things happened to them uh, for in samples, and they're written for our admonition, that, that these things are written to us that we can learn from their history so we don't repeat it. Now, a lot of us, I, I think, when you hear when you hear tell of the wilderness, you think about you think maybe awful, long, hard, grueling punishment, discontentment, bitterness, angry, hard heartedness, stiff neck. Right, that's what most of us think. Right, for the most part, when you hear that, you're thinking, "Oh man, the wilderness was a terrible place." Well, I, I, I want I want you to understand something. It depends on how you see it. We get criticized all the time. Uh, now we, you know, you're always getting criticized about something. You're either <laughs> you're either legalistic, you're either liberal. Or you're somewhere in the middle and somebody's mad about that. Like, you, 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 you know, you come up here and you, you don't wear a, you know, a suit and tie and you get criticized. And Then you say you believe that the King James Bible is the infallible, inerrant word of God. And they're like, oh, they're mad at you for what you're wearing. And then they're mad at you because you stand on the Bible like you do. It's just a no-win situation sometimes. When I think about the wilderness, I have some of those same thoughts, though. I have some of those same thoughts. Here's where we, we, we get criticized sometimes for what we believe about the discipleship process. Well, it's too stringent. It's too exclusive. It's too. It's too hard. You expect too much. Uh, them four goals you got. You're always trying to figure out where them people are on them four goals. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know we wasn't supposed. To, I didn't know we wasn't supposed to question the process. I didn't know we wasn't supposed to check out where people was in, 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 in their life with Jesus Christ. Well, y'all are just a bunch of weirdos. We want to do whatever we want to do. We want to be laid out of sin. We want to be rich and increase with goods. We want to come to church and we just want to, we want to do our thing. and We want to go about our business. We don't want you sticking your nose in our business. That's a lot of the criticisms of, of discipleship that come to me anyway. But what is the wilderness Exactly. Well, I want you to see two different perspectives of the wilderness. And I'm I'm going to try to, I I got a few more minutes. I'm going to try to give, give them to me. I want you to look at Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse number 12. Moreover, thou lettest them in the day by a cloudy pillar and in the night by a pillar of fire to give them light in the way wherein they should go. Thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai and spakest with them from heaven and gavest them right judgments and true laws and good statutes and commandments and madest known unto them thy holy Sabbath and the commandments uh, and commandest them precepts, statutes, laws by the hand of Moses thy servant and gavest them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought us forth water for them. uh, for them from out of the rock for their thirst, and thou promised them that they should go in to possess the land which thou hast sworn to give them. But they and our fathers dealt proudly, and hardened their necks, and hearkened not unto thy commandments, and refused to obey, neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them. But hardened their necks, and... And in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art uh, there art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and forsookest them not. Yea, when they had made them a molten calf and said this is thy God that brought thee up out of Egypt and have wrought great provocations. Verse 19, man, look at God working. Yet in thy manifold mercies forsookest them, not in the way, uh, forsookest them not in the wilderness. The cloud of pillar departed not from them by day to lead them in the way. Neither the pillar of fire by night to show them the light. To show them why, and and the way wherein they should go. Thou gavest also thy good spirit to instruct them, and which heldeth not thy manna from their mouth, and gavest them water for their thirst. Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness, so so that they lacked nothing. Their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. sounds like a pretty good gig. Yeah, but they were supposed to be in the promised land. They're going to get there. It's just going to be a delay. Most of us want to skip the wilderness. Be ushered into a place... To where we feel like we've got a handle on things. We don't want to go through through all that where we got to depend on God. You see, the biggest thing about the wilderness is they learn to depend on God for everything they had. There's no instruction outside that pillar. There's There's no leading. There's no food outside the hand of God. There's no water outside the hand of God. You see, see, here's what I want you to understand. Sometimes it depends on who you ask to whether the wilderness is such an awful place or not. Now, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 1 and verse 19, it says that the wilderness was great and terrible. Deuteronomy chapter number 8 and verse 15 says uh, that it's great and terrible and where, uh, wherein were fiery serpents. I don't like no snakes, much less fiery ones. Not one. I don't even like the ones that are, that are non-venomous. I don't like none of them. They scare me. And scorpions. I don't like scorpions either. I don't like serpents and I don't like scorpions. Amen. I that that doesn't sound the wilderness doesn't sound a good place right now. It's great and terrible, and there's snakes and there's scorpions and drought where there was no water. So there's nothing to drink, and there's serpents and there's scorpions. Sign me out of that one. That will not be the next vacation destination that I pick. But why was, why, why, why was this so? Why did they see it like this? It depends on who you ask. You, you, know, you know what the biggest problem, you know why they seen it the way they seen it? Don't you write this verse down, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 16. Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee, to do thee good at at thy latter end. You ready? Verse seventeen, and thou shalt and thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. You know why the wilderness is such a big deal? You know why discipleship? You know why I'm making much of handing down the spiritual DNA? It, it, because you and me have got to decide, am I going to hand down what's right and what's true? Why? Because the process is there to humble me. The process is there to make me a person that can, that can come to the place that I can lead. Because of the wilderness. I can lead because, you see, you say, well, the discipleship, deal, that's not a big deal around here. But it might be for the next generation. It might be for, it might be for the next generation. It's, oh, we don't need that. That's that old stuff. That's that, you know, that's the old thing that, that it was. You know, we're not going to do that no more. We're going to do whatever we got to do to draw people. We're going to do whatever we got to do to bring people in and make them feel comfortable and make them feel happy. You know, we want to be the seeker-friendly church. And listen, friend, Jesus never called us to that. He called us to make a call for people to count the cost. Count the cost of what it's going to cost you to follow me. But I want you to, I want you to look. There's a couple of things. I want you to make sure you get them. Uh, there's three things that they learned. Uh, There's three things that they would learn in the wilderness if they would have humbled themselves. One, they they would have learned communion and fellowship. They would have learned communion, and they would have learned fellowship. Exodus 5, in verse number 1, He says, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. They would learn what it meant to be a servant of God. Number two, they would learn what it meant to be a servant of God. Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. That they may serve me in the wilderness. They would learn through this process of discipleship to be a servant to their God. And they would learn sacrifice. And they would learn worship. We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as He shall command us. You see, following Jesus Christ means going into the wilderness. That's what it means. It means going into that great and terrible place, or it means God providing like crazy. You choose. You choose how you see it. And you've got to decide today how you're going to see it. Because there's plenty of people that will walk out of here mad and disgruntled about the process. About the wilderness process. And you, cho- you have the ability to see it how you want to see it. You can either see it how God sees it. God sees it how, 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 uh, just how he spoke to Moses to speak to Pharaoh to see it. You want to go commune and have fellowship, let's go do it. You want to learn how to serve God, let's go do it. You want to learn how to sacrifice and how to worship, let's go do it. But you got to have the right sight to see it. Exodus 19 and verse number 1, the third month when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt. Things are really interesting for A's how this works. The same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. The same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. You know what will make you successful in the wilderness? Virtue. Virtue. Doing what you know to do. Don't, don't worry about what you don't know to do. That'll come. But if you, if you, if you see it the way you want to see it, if you see it as a lover of yourself, you're going to hate it. If you see that process as, a, as, as, as somebody that loves the, the, their own pleasures more than they love God then, then you're going to hate it you're going to hate what's going on you're going to despise it you're going to be a you're going to despise what it teaches more than anything and that's what breaks my heart man is that we despise what it teaches and we don't even know it we despise that it teaches real communion and real fellowship with God We despise that it teaches us how to be servants of God. We despise that it teaches us how to sacrifice and worship the right way. We despise that and we don't even know it. You know why? Because we've deduced Christianity and coming to a place and not a person. Salvation is more nowadays about coming to an altar instead of Jesus Christ. Coming to church is more about coming to a building than, than coming to a place where I'm worshiping with you the soldiers of Jesus Christ that, man, we're manning the guns, we're, we're filling the artillery, and we're going back out as soldiers, good soldiers of Jesus Christ, and we're going to war a good warfare. That's what we are. I got, a, I got a guy, USMC, associate pastor of our church. He's 25, 26 years old. And uh, this dude loves Jesus. He loves the word of God. Just crazy chain of events, been sick for a week, and has been uh, they, they intubated him a week ago this morning. And so he's been gone for a, a week. He's been out of this world for a week or so, had a major surgery, and God blessed it. You know, but I couldn't help but think, man, I, I remember back years ago when this whole thing was coming to us. We were getting a handle on the kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. We were getting a handle on discipleship. We would sit around and we would envision together and he would encourage me and say, man, listen, it's going to be hard. There's going to be people walk out. There's going to be people that don't like it. There's going to be this and and be that. And then we're both... We're both encouraging each other, hey, don't quit, it's going to be hard, it's going to be hard. I call him, i am like, man, you ain't never going to believe what happened. So-and-so done this, so-and-so done that. Man, we knew this was going to happen. He would say, we knew this was going to happen. We got to stay the course. We got to keep doing what we're doing, though. We know what God said. We know what God's given us to do. Don't Don't quit. <clears throat> it's hard to change a church culture. That first generation is so hard, man. I mean, you're fortunate. You've been been laid a foundation. Here's what I'm asking you. How are you going to see it for the next generation? Man, we're we're down there, and, and, and man, this dude, God's got his hand on this guy. he's laid up in a hospital bed and it's just killing me because he is the generation that's going to take exactly what God would did in my heart and in, 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 in Mark's heart all and do something with it. Man, he's teaching. He, he teaches our, our teens on Wednesday night and you know what he does? He does what we're doing in here. Like they hear the same thing. The teenage group hears the same thing that, that, that I say. How do you see it? Maybe, maybe you just need an a honest minute of repentance. Maybe you just need a honest, you, you need to get honest with yourself. When's the last time you got this... In your heart that, man, I want to see a son of God reproduced in my life. Or are we just gathering? I I know y'all don't do that here, but that, you know, it's real easy for that to seep in our congregations. It's really easy for the Laodicean culture to, to seep in us and, and, and us be pastor, be, be pastors on staff and Laodicea sneak in. How do you see it though? Is it worth it? Is it gold, silver, and precious stone? Is it worth it? Because how you see it. I don't care if it's 500 or 50. I don't care if it's 500 or or five. Or or, or in my my case, five. Just trying to see my five. The desire of my soul. Serve Jesus Christ with all their heart. How are you going to see it for your church? the Living Faith Fellowship you've been such a blessing there's more of us out there just like me they need a, they, they need a, a, a Brian Hedges and a Dan Renault to come up and look at me and say who discipled you You know what that is. He's saying, you're a pastor. I know. It's a little weird, but it happens sometimes. It shouldn't, but it does. Man, wouldn't it be cool the first night of the conference if we got serious with the Lord about how we see it? It'd be cool if you just decided, man, I'm going to throw all caution to the wind and I'm going to see it like God sees it. The wilderness doesn't have to be a place to where it's just awful. But it's a place where God's humbling me and he, He's proven me and He's bringing me into a place to where he, that I could really be used. How do you see it? Because it matters. You can leave out of here mad or you can leave out of here really grateful that God's got you in a place just like this. Amen? Let's pray.